14 months ago, we started in Acts chapter number 1, verse 1. Uh, the second Sunday of January, uh, January 9th, 2022, was our first week in this. Now, we had Advent in there, and we took a break during summer and, and special Sundays or whatever, and so um, we haven't consistently necessarily been in the book of Acts, but this is our 42nd week in the book of Acts, and I'm going to and I say something that maybe at first will be a little bit confusing and maybe to some of you disappointing. We're actually not finishing the book of Acts today, but that'll make more sense in a minute. For now, let's grab our Bibles and jump in. If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. Uh, let's hold up our Bibles and say our creed together and our prayer together before we dive in this morning. Here we go. Come on. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind, and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Now hang on, we're not starting back over at the beginning. Turn to Acts chapter 1, it's page 855, if you're using one of those Bibles from the seat in front of you. Acts chapter number 1, I want us to visit where this whole thing began to give us some perspective as we come uh, through the final chapter this morning. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse number 1 says, In the first book, O Theophilus, if you weren't with us, this is sort of the Gospel of Luke, part 2. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then he uh, wrote uh, the book of Acts, what we call the book of Acts. He did not name it that. The Holy Spirit didn't necessarily name it that. We call it the book of Acts. Uh, he was writing under the authority of some guy named Theophilus that we don't know a whole lot about. Uh, might have actually been that Luke was, uh, that that was, uh, he was a servant of Theophilus's, or maybe he was just a wealthy guy who was a follower of Jesus and wanted to know more about the story of Jesus. We don't totally know, uh, but that's not really the point. He's explaining, this is what I've been dealing with. I have dealt with all that Jesus began. Not all that Jesus completed, past tense, but what he started, the thing that he launched, what, what he began, that in a sense is completed, the completed work of Christ, and yet is incomplete, we wait for the day of the Lord, um, in that he has put a, a plan in motion that we're, we're in midstream here. And it's all about Jesus, what Jesus began to do, but it's not just his good, loving deeds. It is his truth, what he began to teach until the day when he's taken up after he'd given commands to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he'd chosen. He presented himself alive. This is all about Jesus, who's raised from the dead, presenting himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. This is not some mysticism. This is not... Uh, some some blind faith, there's proof and evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, or else we're toast, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus is not someone who came and lived to get a following and then he died and it was over. He came to usher in to begin a new kingdom. 
a new kingdom that would rule and reign in advance and keep marching forward. And the, the way that kingdom was launched was with some marching orders found a couple verses later that sort of has been our outline for these 42 weeks. Verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that power is not just to give you warm fuzzies or goosebumps. It's not just for you. It's so that you will be my witnesses, that you will help be the mouthpieces that advance this kingdom. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, here, and Judea and Samaria, there, and to the end of the earth, everywhere. And that mission that God began, we've been walking through. This is not the story of the apostles. This is not the story of Paul. This is not about James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. This is not about Peter and John, who were were on the first couple pages of this book. This is not about them. This is about the resurrected Jesus from the dead, ushering in a new kingdom that I just got to tell you, 2,000 years later, is alive and well and still advancing. Right? And we've been watching this story, kind of our origin story, and now we find ourselves... In chapter 28. So scroll if you're using your phone or turn if you're using your Bible to Acts 28. It's page 881 if you're using one of those Bibles in front of you. We, we got to the beginning of chapter 28. It's the tail end of the shipwreck story of the Apostle Paul. And when, when we left him last, we think he was launching another church uh, while he was uh, uh, shipwrecked there for three months. But finally, when we pick the story back up, he's he's back on another sailing vessel. After a brief stop, they get a, a south wind that finally gets them to Rome. And as, as Luke is writing, I, I love the, the wording of verse 14. He's like, there we found brothers. We were invited to stay with them for seven days. And then it's like, he's like, wait, I didn't make a big enough deal about this. I need to say this nice and clear by itself. And so we came to Rome. At long last, this mission that we've been following for months, that the Apostle Paul was on for years, to finally make it to Rome. This mission of, of the gospel going from Jerusalem to Judea to the end of the earth. The, the, the saying was that all roads lead to Rome. Skip Heitzig said if all roads lead to Rome, then in Paul's mind, all roads lead from Rome. So if we're going to get to the world, the gospel's got to get to Rome, man. That's the that's a center of, of reaching the nations. And he finally has made it. In verse 15, the brothers there, when they heard about us, they came as far as the forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. And on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. When we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. He's essentially on house arrest. For the rest, most of the rest of his life. So he's got some independence, people allowed to come visit him, uh, but he can't leave his house. Now we don't know for sure what kind of house arrest the Apostle Paul was in, because there was two kinds of house arrest back then. Uh, one was that a guard pretty much just made sure you never left the house. He was kind of on post. It's way more likely that the kind of house arrest the Apostle Paul was under here was where he was actually 24 hours a day chained to a Roman guard. They would be in six-hour shifts, and they would come sit with him, and then they would get relieved. Somebody else would come sit with him. But he had a measure of freedom we already have seen where he's allowed to have his needs cared for. And more importantly for the Apostle Paul, he can keep working. 
He can keep doing the thing that he's called to. And so these these uh, brothers and sisters in Rome come and hear the story of what God's been doing and how he demanded to see Caesar and and they want to hear more. Skip down to verse number uh, 23. When they appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. And from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying of, and I want you to remember what we just read in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Testifying of the kingdom of God. He was being a witness here, there, and everywhere of the kingdom We're ending right where we began. It's almost like God was up to something that no matter what opposition happened was going to come to pass. And not just this random kingdom trying to convince them about Jesus. He's he's centered on the resurrected Christ. Explaining this kingdom that God has come to unveil through his son. From the law of Moses and from the prophets. And verse 24 is just an important verse for us to, we we won't pause long here, but this is still our daily reality every time we proclaim the kingdom of the resurrected Christ. Some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. But he kept on testifying of the resurrected Christ. Whether they believe or don't believe is not up to us, by us, or about us. Our calling is to be his witnesses here, there, and everywhere. People's response is up to his spirit. When the spirit gives us power to be a witness, the spirit doesn't give us a power to save. He still holds the power to save. He gives us the power to witness, and it's up to him. Some of us feel like we're failures because our families haven't heard our story and been convinced. It's not up to you to save them. We're called to be a testimony. We've got to trust the fruit up to the fruit producer. And then we skip down to verse 30. He, he tells them what God's been up to and how the Gentiles are hearing the gospel. Verse 30, he lived there two whole years. All of a sudden, Luke sounds a little less educated. Like, well, of course, whole years. That just sounds like something a redneck would say. It's been two whole years. Like two half years? I don't... What does that mean? He lived there two years at his own expense. The, the idea in the original language there is he rented a lodging place for two years on his own dime and welcomed. That word welcomed is such a beautiful word. We're going to park on it in just a minute. He welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. And without hindrance. What I said our first week of this series is this mission, this advancement of the kingdom. It is the plan of God that that kingdom would advance through a living, breathing organism called the church. What what the scriptures call ecclesia. Ecclesia was, the word literally means an assembly that is called out. This idea that we're called out from something and we're called out towards something. We're called out from our former life before we met Jesus. And we're called to this new thing that's bigger than us and grander than us. 
We're called out, and that's what brings us together. We don't come together because we look the same, vote the same, or eat the same. We come together because we've been called out by a thing and to a thing that unites us. That's ecclesia. The word we would use today is it's a movement. It's a movement around an idea, around a cause worth rallying for and giving your life for. And that idea is the gospel and that cause is the resurrected Jesus. That's the thing that defines us. And what happened is this incredible advancement of ecclesia happens in, in these first couple generations. And by the time we get to the third, uh, end of the third century and beginning of the fourth century and into the, the pre-medieval times, what happens is all of a sudden ecclesia starts to functionally become more about a place. It starts to become about brick and mortar or stone or mud. It starts to become about a place. And then we go into the dark ages and the middle ages and it, it's less about a place and it's more about an institution. It's more about this governance and control and power politically, economically. It becomes an institution. And then during the Industrial Revolution, there's this change where it starts to morph into more of an organization, more of a business structure, more of a not-for-profit 501c3 organization, more of a business. And, and the thought is, what could be worse, that, that ecclesia morphs into just being about a place? Or of some institution or an organization, what could possibly be worse? And yet in our generation, we've seen Ecclesia turn into an event, a spectator venue where we like or don't like and pick and choose based on whether the stuff was good on the stage. And what the world is in desperate need of today is a resurgence of a remnant of people of God who've caused a, who have caught a fresh vision of ecclesia. That it's not about a place, it's not about an institution, and it's not about an organization, and it's not about a venue. It is about a movement of the story of Jesus and the kingdom of God on planet earth. That's what we belong to. That's what Ecclesia is, and that's what Ecclesia will be until Jesus comes to get her. A movement of God in our homes, and a movement of God in our city, and a movement of God in our nation, and a movement of God's kingdom on planet Earth. That's Ecclesia. And in these final words of the Gospel of Acts, there's five principles that kind of speak to the heart of Ecclesia in a fresh way again as we get to the end. In a fresh way that, that calls us back as we've gotten down into some stories. It calls us back to a 30,000 foot view of Ecclesia this morning. And what seems like a simple, a simple idea here. I, I want to draw out five ideas about Ecclesia as we end our time in the book of Acts. The first one is this movement that we belong to is a movement of generosity. This movement we belong to has been and will be until Jesus comes again, a movement that he sustains through the generosity of his people. The Apostle Paul modeled that by renting a house that he leveraged for kingdom purposes <laughs> at his own expense. By the way, when you're a, a prisoner in your home, it's really hard to produce wages. So I'm not sure how Paul rented a house because Luke does not give us the economics of that. I don't know how. 
But he modeled a level of generosity that said, I'm invested in this kingdom. And that's the way that this movement has advanced from one generation to the next. Is throughout history, there's been a, a, a group of people, a, 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 an ecclesia that has said, I want this kingdom to march forward to the next generation. The reason you and I've heard the story of Jesus is because somebody a generation ago sacrificed and invested to make sure the story made it to us. People that we don't know and people that we'll never meet. We... In New York a couple of weeks ago, took our students to some museums and, and it's always interesting to watch teenagers in a museum. The, 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 the 1% that are into it and the others who feel obligated to act like they're into it. And then the ones who are like, I'm not even pretending this is, this is dumb. You know, the, the, all these people are dead. You know, like that's why it's a museum. <laughs> Stuff's so old. Yeah, um, but the reason museums exist is we're trying to preserve history so that we can honor what happened before us. We go stand on the Old North Bridge, the shot heard around the world, so that we don't forget the people who laid down their lives so that we could enjoy blindly today an experiment called freedom. And in the same way as the people of God, there are nameless men and women who were generous in their generation so that the story would make it to us. And we don't inherit that feeling guilty that they sacrificed for us. We inherit that legacy knowing it is our calling to steward that gift for the sake of the next generation. That we will steward this marching kingdom in our chapter of the story of the kingdom of God. This isn't, this isn't our story. We just get to show up on the page of a, of a chapter. And, and those who have sacrificed since 1945 here at Temple Ministries to make sure that the lights stayed on and that disciples were made. This is just a glorious thing. I was just thinking last night about <laughs> there's some some artwork that hangs on the wall in my office that was bought for me by a guy most of you in this room never met named Mel Neal. Um, a guy who poured his life out for the sake of the nations and has been with the Lord now for 10 years. And I just thought about that piece of art. I just randomly last night, it just popped in my mind. I just thought, man, that that's like worth money now, you know, like, that's this old handmade piece of art from Ecuador. But the legacy of a guy like Mel Neal, who gave his whole life to be an unknown servant of God in a country most people wouldn't want to go to. What a legacy to be entrusted with, right? That the, the stuff that outlives us is where the value is found. And it's the generosity of God's people. Here's the thing. Temple does not need your money. We belong to the one who holds everything in the palm of his hands. There's not a plea of, oh, no. It's, It's the idea of we get to partner with new missionary partners when we're faithful to be generous. We get to do that. 
We, we get to see disciples made of the next generation. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. Generosity is not a labor. It is not a duty. If, if giving is hard for you because of maybe a lack of faith or maybe it wasn't modeled for you as a young person, let me just tell you, we aren't missing out because of your lack of generosity. <laughs> but you are. I invite you to a story that's so much bigger than us. We get to be a part of this thing. I spent way too much time on that point. Ecclesia is a movement of generosity. And that we're going to park on, on this word welcome uh, for the next three points. One word, three points. Because it's such a cool word. It is such a, a Jesus-looking word. He invited. A, second thing I would say is that this idea of ecclesia is a movement of hospitality. Paul was literally chained to his house. And some of you, when you pay your mortgage every month, you're like, yes, Jesus. I feel like I'm a prisoner in, in this house, too. Um, he actually was changed to that. He had this thought, this mentality of I'm going to leverage the place I lay my head. I'm going to leverage this space for the kingdom of God. Seems like a simple thought, right? Do you know there would be no ecclesia if the men and women of God hadn't chosen to leverage their physical space for kingdom purposes? There was no real estate in the first, in the greatest period of growth Ecclesia ever experienced. There was no real estate owned by Ecclesia. It's just the hospitality of the people of God. I believe with all my heart that, that one of the most important things we do here is gathering in a circle. Uh, we were standing in a circle yesterday before we walked through customs and Brett Faulkner said real sarcastically, oh, this is temple. Circles are better than rows. Doug's got him in a circle. No, for real, circles are better than rows. <laughs> and many of you have chosen to leverage your home so that the visible kingdom of God could gather and pray together and think about the word together and talk about the word together. And I just want to say that's as biblical as helping a widow across the street. <laughs> Thank you. And I would also say, after we take a break for the summer and launch into the fall, we are going to need some additional homes that the ecclesia can gather in. And we are a movement that is marked by hospitality. And so may you begin now to pray about leveraging your space for kingdom purposes. This is a biblical idea. This movement is a movement of generosity, and it's a movement of hospitality. And it is a movement of inviting. This word welcoming here is a word that involves a sense of vulnerability. To offer an extended hand of welcome means someone can reject your welcome. Right? All you who've been married for a long time, think back to when you used to ask somebody out and wonder if they were going to say yes. Every time we invite someone in, we're now like, they might ghost me. That's how the kingdom advances. It's people who have a spirit-birthed boldness, who are unhindered to invite someone into this kingdom, this movement. It's taking a risk. By the way, the risk is actually much smaller when you realize that the invitation is not an invitation to you. It's an invitation to your Savior. 
So when they say no, they are not rejecting you. So the risk is actually not as big as it feels. But I understand if you're not an extrovert, that's a risk. That's a hard thing. What if we continued in our generation to keep taking risks for the sake of the gospel? And when I say welcoming and inviting, I don't mean to come sit and listen to me talk. Somehow in our generation, we have, I can't find a better phrase. I'm really sleep deprived. We have dumbed down sharing the gospel to just invite them to church so that my pastor can share the gospel with them. That That's not being a witness here, there, and everywhere. That's bringing them so that I can be a witness to them, and I'm in. If you don't feel like you're at a place yet in your spiritual growth that you can articulate the gospel for yourself, then invite them to come sit with you and take them to lunch afterwards. That's super cool. But that is not how this movement got here. This movement got here when people who didn't have a label, elder, pastor, bishop, just normal people said, this used to be me. I met Jesus. Now I have hope. Want to follow him with me? That's it. That's how this thing got here. This thing called Ecclesia made it to our generation, not through theologians, but through men and women who've met Jesus, telling another person that they can meet Jesus too. Now, having said that, if you're like, I don't know how to tell my story, here's the thing. We're right on the heels of Easter. It's a great time to say, hey, why don't you come hang out with me at Easter Sunday? I will tell you, if you have friends or loved ones or coworkers who know you're a follower of Jesus, they will think it's weird if you've not invited them on Easter weekend. I'm just saying, there's never been a better moment to take the risk to be welcoming. And just imagine. J.D. Greer said this. He said, when we take that risk, two things happen. It grows your faith and just maybe it changes their life. That's pretty powerful. And what, can y'all imagine, can you just oh, crawl into my bald brain for one second? Can you imagine if every person who's in, in attendance today reached one person with the gospel in 2023? I don't think you crawled into my bald brain with me because you're not seeing what I'm seeing. Can you see that? Can you think about what that would look like? Like, where are we going to put him? I don't know. We'll figure it out. Just go tell him about Jesus. This movement is a movement of inviting. Next, this movement is a movement of serving. That word welcoming uh, is translated in other places in Scripture embracing, holding. It's pretty cool. It's not just like distant fist bump. It's not the COVID elbow. It's like welcoming. How can I help you? It's a get your hands dirty kind of invitation. This is not what the text is saying. I'm, I'm not reading into the scripture here. But this could mean like Paul fixed him breakfast. Right? It's that kind of welcome. The, the true work of ministry is not done by paid professionals. It's done by born-again believers. The actual work of ministry is when the people of God serve, volunteer. 
the the most biblical thing that happened today is not what I'm standing here doing. It's Andy Childs getting here, the second or third person on campus to start brewing the coffee. It's Katie Wrench yelling at me when I said hello to her this morning because she thought I cut in front of somebody to get coffee. It's like, it is not your turn. I came to say hello to you. I just, I just want to get that on digital record for his, Historosity's sake. That, that happened in the house of the Lord today. Because she just is like, hey, how can I help? Where can I serve? She's never said, can I preach this Sunday? Right? <laughs> Her mom said, amen. <laughs> this is just getting better. Uh, she's like, oh, I can help serve coffee. And, and maybe you're like, I, I don't want to teach a class and I don't, if you can hold a door open, then you can be a part of this ecclesia. There's a space for everybody. If you're, if you're a tech nerd, we've got opportunities you can serve with sound and audio. I don't figure it out. I don't know how to use it. Lance will show you. Trevor will show you. There's those opportunities. I, I want to specifically talk about temple kids for a second because it's just been a minute since I said this out loud. Church, listen to me. We, we do not do babysitting here. Um, there are some great babysitters here that you can hire if you need a date night. That is not what we do on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. And maybe you're thinking, well, he means not the nurseries. He means the older kids. I'm just here to tell you, I believe when a spirit-filled person holds a baby in their arms and prays over them, it changes future trajectories. There is a difference between changing a diaper and changing a diaper in Jesus' name. And here's the thing about both of those realities. I'm not going to do either one. But you can. If, you'll, if you want to sign up for that this morning. Uh, from the time. And by the way, science keeps telling us. That kids learn sooner than we realize. They experience their environment from the moment they are born. They experience their environment before they're born. That is the picture of Ecclesia. We're experiencing an environment towards a kingdom. I'm just here to tell you, temple days, well, that's, that's child care. That's a, I, I'm here to tell you that there are babies in temple days who experience the presence of Jesus for a handful of hours a day. And maybe they never will the rest of their lives. Like maybe they won't grow up in the Christian home or whatever, but they'll always have experienced Jesus for a minute. This is kingdom work, y'all. Uh, one pastor from Atlanta said this, our, our children's ministry's mission is this, that we can put little anchors of faith so deep in their hearts that when they reach the turmoil of middle school, high school, college, young adulthood, they will stay anchored to a faith and not drift from hope. That's what we're doing. This is kingdom work. I, and I just got to tell you, <laughs> um, being in Guatemala with some of our teenagers this week, 
I just got to tell you, <laughs> Ecclesia is going to be in good hands in the next generation. There's some anchors that have taken root in some hearts that gives me profound hope. I just encourage you that there's opportunities for you to plug in. Speaking of Easter, we're going to have some opportunities where you can serve the body of Christ on Easter weekend. Because I don't know how we're going to get all that done. So um, we'll be reaching out to you soon with that. Lastly, and we're going to park here for, for, the, for the last little bit. This thing that we belong to is a movement of faith. It's a movement of faith. Faith, this evidence of things not seen. Because you know what we don't see about this story? We don't see a good ending. If, if Luke were selling this book to a publisher, they would say, you forgot to end the book. Did you just run out of time? Did your battery die on your laptop? What happened, bro? He finally made it to Rome. Don't you want to know what the conversation looked like with Caesar? I mean, look at the boldness he had with like little nobodies. What did he say to Caesar? I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty sure he proclaimed the kingdom of God centered on Jesus. But whatever. We don't know. There's a great uh, church planning organization in the last quarter of a century called Acts 29. It's a cool name. It's a groovy name, man. Like this idea that the, the next chapter is still being written. I'm so convinced that every word... Every detail, even the pause, the Selah, is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. I believe this book ends on a cliffhanger, on a purpose to send a message that the mission of Ecclesia will not stop until our faith becomes sight. We trust him with the next chapter. It's still being written. When I said we're not really finishing the book of Acts this morning, it's because the book isn't done yet. It's still being written. Every time the gospel is proclaimed to a broken person, the book of Acts is still being written. Every time a parent prays over their child in Jesus' name, the book of Acts is still being written. Every time a person says, I'm going to live on less than I could so that I can be a part of the kingdom of God, the book of Acts is still being written. While the Apostle Paul is under house arrest, he writes the book of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossian and Philemon. Like the, the thing kept going. We don't have record of that here. We just figured that out from reading them. And this is where he was. And in the same way, I believe God's still advancing his bride today. Around the world, by the way. It's really encouraging to be in Guatemala with these students because it's the first church missions trip we've taken since the pandemic and it was this beautiful picture that nothing can stop the advancement of this movement it's a movement that keeps moving <laughs> and it, she won't be stopped until jesus comes again 120 people without a map got the gospel to the nations 120 people without an airplane 
got the gospel of the world. It's pretty amazing. Matt Chandler said, you and I trace ourselves back to 120 men and women in Jerusalem standing face to face with a resurrected Christ and him saying, you will receive power. And now it's our turn. (laughs) Come on. And now it's our turn. Here we are 2000 years later in Fort Worth, Texas, placed here on purpose with a purpose for a purpose to reach this city with the same gospel of the resurrected Christ. And just like Rome, Fort Worth is a strategic city. We're in the Metroplex, the fourth largest metropolitan area in the United States of America. And specifically Fort Worth. Do you know that Fort Worth, since we moved here, since my family and I moved here in 2009, this city's population growth has been more than 25% just in that window of time. Businesses are flocking here and young families are flocking here saying, that's a great place to go raise a family. And we just want them all to know it's also a great place to meet Jesus. Believe that we are called to make the gospel famous here. To make the kingdom famous here. To make the resurrected Christ famous here. So in faith, let's believe God for our future. Pastor George Crittenden pastored this church for... More than three decades. He tells me often that I have to be here 36 years. Because he was here for 35. And there are some days that I tell him, why would you wish that on me? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um. Every time I talk to him, he asks me for a new story of what God's still doing here. This past week, he was put on hospice care. Three weeks ago, he called the church office and talked to Monica and said, Tell Doug he needs to come see me because I want to tell him what my funeral is supposed to be. I've never done funeral planning with a person still living before. And it wasn't really funeral planning. It was me saying, yes, sir, and writing notes down. The interesting thing is, is he's been retired for a long time and he's getting closer and closer to to seeing Jesus. But the thing he was part of is just going to keep marching forward till Jesus comes again. Like, I just love that ecclesia doesn't stop. (laughs) She just continues to march forward for the next chapter of the story for the kingdom. So let's believe God for the next chapter. Let's believe God for the next generation. Let's believe God for the people in your life who don't have the hope of Jesus alive in them. I'll share the story and then I'm done. I was talking to one of our students on the way home. Um, I said, so tell me what was the most impactful part of the experience in Guatemala with you? And And I I was specifically talking to a young teenage girl. And that that part of the story is important. 
I don't know what it's like to be a teenage girl, but I think being one in 2023 has got to be really hard. She talked about at the end of a long day, we came back to the Mana Orphanage there at the guest house. and Chef Joe helped us all prepare a meal for everybody. And she said that was her high point. It had been a long day. We had played hard. We'd gone and seen the bakery at San Lucas. She said, in that moment, a teenage girl said, I didn't care what I looked like. And I didn't care what anybody thought of me. I only cared about that person in front of me. And that is just a momentary glimpse of clarity of what daily reality is supposed to be for the people of God. That we're being set free from all the lesser temporary things. And for just a moment, we're going to love the person in front of us and welcome them. Invite them into the story of the resurrected Christ. To cross over into life. Into a new kingdom. That calling... That responsibility falls to us. As we come to the end of the book of Acts, the question is not how does it end? The question is how will it continue in your life, in your circle of friends, in your home, at your workplace, in your dating relationship? What will that look like?